I wanted to get honest with you here. We've reached a time in history when managing through fear and intimidation, command and control power structures, and do-as-I-say ways of managing no longer work. To speed up the effectiveness of your leadership team and the growth of your business, there's a much better way of leading. Now, as many of you know, I speak often at company events and conferences all over the world. If you bring me to speak at your event, you're going to discover the evidence-based leadership practices that result in a positive, engaging, and high-performing organization. Leaders will walk away with a practical framework to help design the best work environment for their people to flourish. Because when they do, your business will flourish as well. To find out more about my speaking engagements, workshops, and keynotes, visit my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on Speaking. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. So emotional intelligence, or uh, EQ, has been a, a hot topic for decades. I mean, I've registered my thoughts on the power of EQ in leadership on many of my global columns. Like, for example, I mean, how do you respond with emotional intelligence when, you know, people push your buttons? So the study of EQ has, has been debated since the mid-90s over its effectiveness as a, as a leadership model or even as a predictor of job success. Sure, I'm going to agree with a lot of you that, you know, in many professions like medicine, accounting, engineering, and, and other highly technical professions, IQ still remains the best predictor of job success. You got to have it, right? But here's where it gets tricky. Once you land a job in your field of expertise and you start thinking about increasing your role and getting promoted and then leading other human beings and communicating better and, and navigating politics in the office or even when there's conflict and you want to manage the conflict and cut through it to get to the other side. IQ takes a backseat to EQ. So if you're an organizational leader, if you're a founder of a, of a firm or you know, you're aspiring to become a leader one day, how's your emotional intelligence? I'm honestly asking because you're going to need it. So to help us have a better understanding of emotional intelligence, what it truly is, how to use it effectively for your own performance, and how to build more EQ. Yes, anyone can actually develop more EQ. I spoke with Joshua Freeman, a foremost global authority on everything emotional intelligence. Joshua Freeman is the co-founder and CEO of Six Seconds, the global nonprofit dedicated to teaching people how to use emotional intelligence. He is a master certified coach, an instructor for Columbia Teachers College Summer Principals Academy and for Antioch University. Joshua leads the world's largest study on emotional intelligence with breaking research he's going to share with us on this episode. 
He is the author of five emotional intelligence books, including the best-selling At the Heart of Leadership, How to Get Results with Emotional Intelligence. Joshua has helped hundreds of organizations, including FedEx, the U.S. Navy, Microsoft, Intel, Amazon, and the United Nations use emotional intelligence to get better results. And I'm honored that Joshua took the time to come in and hang out with me and and have this conversation. He's a fascinating guy with a wealth of knowledge and wisdom to pass on to all of us. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Joshua Freeman. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, Joshua. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So we start with every guest like this. You ready? What's your story? Well, I go back in the way back machine. Um, I was very entrepreneurial as a young man. Actually, started three companies before I was twenty, and I have this memory of being on a building site. I was a licensed contractor when I was eighteen. I had a few employees, and the job was behind schedule and over budget, as so often. And I get in there, and I'm all pissed, and I'm swinging my hammer around and smash my thumb and. I'm driving off the job site with one of my employees who says to me, it seems like things aren't going so well. Maybe we should talk about it. And I slam my hand down on the dashboard. And I don't want to talk about it. I want you people to get the work done. <laughs> and needless to say, I was not a very effective leader at that stage of my life. And I think one of my colleagues once told me, we teach the things we most need to learn. And I think that's the truth of how I got into emotional intelligence and discovering that there is a science to this, that there's a logic to it, that feelings aren't just random. I didn't have to be so worried about them. I didn't have to be so uncomfortable when somebody said something like, let's talk about it. Or when I saw kind of uh, an emotion on someone's face. A few years later, several, uh, we had started six seconds. We ran our first emotional intelligence certification program. And we had people from six different countries, all kinds of industries and sectors and spaces. And there were a lot of big lessons in that, in that first course that was back in uh, 1997, 98. And one of them was people said, I feel really alone doing this work. Hmm. I didn't know there were other people out there who were really committed to helping people use their emotions more intelligently to, to really engage and, and, and see emotions as a resource for performance, whether that's in school or a union or a military organization or a business, uh, university, we had this incredible mix of people. And uh, that really is why the organization that I lead, Six Seconds, we actually changed our name to be Six Seconds, the Emotional Intelligence Network, hmm. because we realized that in order to create this kind of change, we need allies and partners who can support each other and be a community of practice so that, that we're not alone doing this work. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, emotional intelligence, I remember, I think I was introduced to it, to, to it uh, with Daniel Goleman when he wrote his, his first, I believe, at least to my knowledge, his first big sell uh, a yes. bestseller right it's his first bestseller but not yeah. his first book yeah right right and then uh working with eq came after that mm -hmm. but to this day i i still see 
people struggling with uh, with the full understanding of what it is and what it really and what it's not. So give us kind of the, you know, like dispel any myths from what it's not and bring us to the truth of what EQ is. How would you describe it? What is it? So first of all, in that book, uh, Dan wrote about, he started researching that book in the early 90s. The book came out in 1995. One of the places he researched was the school where I happened to be uh, teaching and an administrator at that time. And he actually wrote about our methodology as one of the two models he'd found in the world of how you actually develop these skills. And I think that's one of the important myths is sometimes people think, well, this is just how I am. Mm. Now that book came out right after the bell curve had come out and the, the bell curve argued, you know, you kind of are how you are. And um, Goldman's book said, you know what, your personality may be fixed and certain aspects of your intelligence might be fixed, but that's not your destiny. Like you can learn and grow and we can all learn and grow. And I think that's one of the reasons the book did so well was making this clear case. And what we found since then, and he didn't really know at that time, but we have found and, and created a lot of evidence that yes, you can grow these skills. Emotional intelligence is measurable, it's learnable, and it's correlated with important individual and organizational performance outcomes. So that, that's one myth. Uh, another myth is sometimes people think, you know, well, that's just being nice. And I mean, it might help you be nice, but it's not just being nice. It's not just being positive. It's not just kind of ignoring problems. It's just like empathy doesn't mean, you know, being soft. Emotional right. intelligence is about getting this emotional data and using it to effectively solve problems. And sometimes we effectively solve problems by confronting them. Uh, sometimes we effectively solve problems by kind of working around it. Sometimes we effectively solve problems by ignoring it. I, it's not that there's a way to be emotionally intelligent. And anybody who comes out and says, you know, well, this is the emotional intelligence solution. Right. They're full of it because it's, it's an intelligence. And, yeah. and, you know, it's like somebody saying, you know, there's only one way to balance your budget. That, you know, use your mathematical intelligence. This is the only way to do it. Like we know that's not true. Intelligence is about getting insight, getting this data accurately, finding the meaning in the data, and then being creative and effective to, to find solutions with that data. And that, you know, when we think about any kind of intelligence, it's, it's accurately acquiring and effectively using data to solve problems. The same is true with emotional intelligence. Mm. Now, I usually simplify that to say, it's being smarter with feelings. We all got feelings. They're there. You can pretend they're not. That's irrational. <laughs> if you want to be rational, acknowledge that we all have feelings. It's part of our neurobiology. And let's be smarter with them instead of letting them just kind of run on their own. Okay. So I'm going to run with uh, a question that may be leading, leading, because after all, I am talking to one of the foremost <laughs> authorities of VQ. But I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask you anyway, is EQ, EQ better than IQ in this day and age? Maybe. So here's the thing. What we've seen in the research, and we just published a new business case for emotional intelligence. Uh, last year, we published the workplace vitality research. Uh, and what we're seeing is that emotional intelligence is becoming more predictive of workplace success, not less. Hmm. 
if you had a bunch of employees who didn't know anything about, let's say, coding, and and you're you're Amazon, and you're trying to build, you know, web solutions and a, a platform for internet infrastructure. And you have all these employees and none of them know how to code and they don't have any IQ skills. They're really low in their IQ skills. Well, your business is not going to do well. That said, when you go to Amazon right now, what you'll find is a ridiculous level of IQ. Hmm. You'll find all these people who are just absurdly smart in the IQ sense. They're all these rock star coders. And the question is, can they actually work together? So in a kind of abstract sense, you know, I, I was a teacher for a while. I'm a professor now. I, like IQ is important, but that we don't live in an abstract sense. In the real world, most of your employees and most of the people you encounter have very well-developed cognitive skills. Most of us went to school for a ridiculous number of hours of developing our cognitive intelligence, right? And that's not, you know, that that's the reality. And so in that reality, the people who have more emotional intelligence are the ones who outperform. And what we see in the new business case uh, is in multiple studies, emotional intelligence is twice as predictive of performance as cognitive intelligence. Now, again, that's in the real world, not in some kind of abstract theory. Yeah. Reminds me of uh, Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. In exactly. the sense is IQ and cognitive ability will get you to a certain point. But then when you need to branch out and navigate the complex world of people and yeah. relationships and leadership, then EQ comes in and says, okay, I need to take over. Sure. I was just with the senior leadership team of bank the last few days talking about this very thing. They've grown a lot. They're a fantastic bank. They have really good people. And they're now at this stage of growth where the senior leaders, what their job is, is not banking. Right? They're, yes, they need financial acumen. Yes, they need to understand compliance and risk. Yes, they need to understand the industry. But all of them do. So, what they need now is something different. And I think this is true in almost every sector and almost every industry. You have people who, um, you know, they're a scientist and they get promoted because they're good at science. And then they get promoted because they're good at science. And then they get promoted, they're good at science. And now they're not doing any science. Their job is all about people and relationships and politics and negotiation, and they, they're terrible at it. They're failing, yeah. And they struggle, and if they're miserable, and they make their people miserable. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm in the world of coaching, and 99.9% and of all my coaching is soft skills related or challenges associated with soft skills development. Yeah. I'm wondering how much, unbeknownst to me, I'm actually doing coaching to raise somebody's EQ capacity. Well, we could find out. <laughs> we, uh, we do have a fantastic measure of emotional intelligence. We, we didn't develop it for research. We developed it for real world practice. And one of the things that's different about our tools is we, we're grounded in, in research and we're very rigorous, 
but we're not academics. Uh, we're practitioners, um, we're consultants and, and coaches and educators. And so we created tools that help people actually create change. But we use these tools uh, and we see in, and we publish many case studies now about individuals, teams, organizations, government agencies, and, and seeing over and over how something like coaching is very effective in growing these capacities. And we can talk a little bit more about it, but <clears throat> what's at the heart of this, people need to know why they're doing this work. Hmm. And it could be that scientist who's like, this sucks. I need something new here. I, I see there's a gap. Very often, like the senior leadership team uh, that I just talked about, they're saying, hey, we just did a major acquisition. Now we're in a totally different place. Our uh, size of our business has doubled in a few years and we're going to need to new capacities. But that, that piece of essentially your own business case, whether you're an individual or an organization, and being very clear that these skills are not just nice to have. These skills are pivotal for you to get the results that you want. Once you come to that realization and you get aligned on the fact that this is the difference that will make the difference, that's when you're going to be really able to leverage and grow and get the value of emotional intelligence. Yeah. In fact, a few years back, I wrote an Inc. article and I did a little research on uh, top skills that employees would need by the year 2020. So I'm going back <laughs> in time. I wrote, I wrote this article in 2017 and referencing a World Economic Forum study. Yep. And... Uh, Emotional intelligence made the top 10 list. The, yeah. In fact, I remember your article about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here we are. So that being said, your research also shows a decline in emotional intelligence. Explain. Okay. So this is very disturbing. This We've seen uh, scores going up and down since we started this study. This is the world's largest study on emotional intelligence. Again, we publish this great assessment tool. It's used um, all over the world. We have a big enough data set now to be able to have a randomized sampling from 140 countries. It's balanced by age, by gender. It's a little skewed because it's mostly workplace, uh, more educated people, more managers, for example, than, than general population. But what we're seeing is a we saw a dramatic downward shift uh, between 2019 and 2020, mm. and perhaps you know, there, perhaps there were some events in the world that might explain that. <laughs> we saw uh, that shift continue to go down in 21 and in 22. Now, the the good news is it's leveled off a little bit between 21 and 22, and we have the new report. We just finished the research analysis. This is called State of the Heart, and the State of the Heart 2023 will be coming out in a few months. And we'll see some fascinating discoveries, particularly around gender and uh, recognizing how this pandemic period has shifted, but also around leadership and what are the competencies that are really predictive of leadership performance in different places. So as an individual, if you're saying, okay, I want my own career to grow, well, there's good news in this data, which is that if you are growing your emotional intelligence, you're going to be outperforming. But as an organizational leader, uh, I look at this and say, this work is getting harder. It's getting harder to hire people who are able to bring these skills to bear. And 
as a, a citizen, as a human, I'm just, I'm looking around at the interactions that I see. I was just flying yesterday and, you know, I just was kind of bracing for some outburst and people were reasonably civil on my flight, thank, thankfully. But we have this kind of fraught sense of, of instability. And I think part of what's happening is that when people feel more anxious and more isolated, they move into a kind of more primal reactions. Their brains are part of our, the way our brains work is that when we move into distress, we kind of focus on things we can control, we become more short-term in our thinking, we become more tribal. Mm. I think that that kind of tribalism is part of what we're seeing in, in polarization, not just in the US, but all over the world. Yeah. That means it's harder to build common ground and it's harder to put love in action. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to grow our emotional intelligence. It's harder to have honest conversations, which means it's harder to collaborate. It's harder to communicate. It's harder to work across boundaries. So it means this, these skills are now even more important. There's a big human cost. Um, we can talk this, about this more later, but you probably caught the U.S. Surgeon General last year released the Workplace Mental Health and Wellbeing Framework. This year released an advisory on loneliness. Yeah. And loneliness in the world is it, it truly at epidemic levels. We've all, here we are, right? Uh, connecting virtually. We have yeah. all these ways of connecting, but we don't feel it. Mm. And in the workplace, that isolation, um, it's not solved, by the way, by saying, come back to the office. Because people, you know, they can feel really lonely around a group of people. Yeah. It's, it's about this deeper connection, which I think you would use the word love. I would say emotional intelligence skills are how we really understand people and ourselves to build those authentic connections. I'm wondering if, tell me how, what you think about this. I know that empathy is one of the quadrants of, of EQ. And you're talking about polarization. I, I brought Peter T. Coleman in a couple of episodes ago. And he wrote the book, Toxic Polarization, and you know how to end it. And, and so he's talking about how so much of the world has become politicized, where we are now entrenched in our left-right ideological camps. And some of us, he says, are actually getting to the point where we're becoming addicted to our own sort of bias, right? Mm -hmm. Unconscious bias. Is that the term? Um, or input? No, what? Anyways, <laughs> maybe conscious. But <laughs> yeah, right. That's, uh, so, so basically, he is saying that until we, we muster the courage and empathy to come to the middle mm. um, and just to try to seek understanding, you don't have to agree with the other side, but to, just to come to the table and seek understanding. Mm. Um, that that in itself will begin to break down the walls of division just so people understand, oh, that's, so that's where you're coming from, rather than just listen to the voices inside their head to confirm confirmation bias. That's what I was after, confirmation mm -hmm. bias. So to confirm their own, their own views, right? Uh, and that's why the media does what it does. Depending on which channel you listen to, it's all confirmation bias, 100% of it. None of it is news. So I'm wondering if empathy, it's almost like we have lost the ability to, to be empathetic towards others and listen. 
So when we look at the research from the state of the heart, what we see is that two of the biggest losses in the last five years have been in empathy and in what we call navigating emotions, um, which is different than controlling emotions. Navigating emotions is about using emotions intentionally, harnessing the insight and, and energy of emotions to help you move forward. Those are the two that have the biggest losses. And so that speaks to um, less sense that we're all in this together. And when you said, you know, well, understand the other side. Well, what if there is no other side? What if genuinely we can see, like we have a shared destiny. This is, we're all in the same life raft. And you know, some of us might be might be sitting on more pillows than others, but if this life wrap goes down, we're all going down. Mm. And you know, and we can see that right now in the in the debt standoff in America. You know, and it's like, well, look, if the economy collapses, it doesn't matter how you you vote. We're all gonna suffer. This is not a good idea. And yet, what happens neurobiologically is we get a dopamine reward for being certain, for being right. And that dopamine reward is addictive. Our brains crave that. And, you know, so when we can say, I, those people are wrong. I know it. I know what's right. We get this dopamine reward. You know, interestingly, we get a dopamine reward for learning something new. Hmm. We get a dopamine reward for, for, for being courageous, for trying something. The problem is that the, the second pathway, this kind of courageous pathway, it's harder to access when we're stressed. And so when, again, when we go into our brains, go into this distress mode, we, we get more focused on that. I've got to do what's known. I got to stick with, I got to stick with the winning formula. I got to stick with the winners. I got to stick with the people I know got my back. And so that fuels that tribalism, but we do have options and we don't, you know, biology as Dan Coleman wrote, our biology is not our destiny. We can learn and grow. That's like the great, promise of uh, of the human brain is that we can change ourselves so what what's the direction we want to go yeah so to anyone that's listening that is a left brain dominant you know data uh a, a person that's into the data and analytical all that stuff okay you're saying to that person who may be thinking this is just the way i'm wired i mm. You're saying, no, you as well can become more emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And, and this is important. I, I'm very analytical. And one of our assessments talks about something called brain style. And we look at uh, kind of how do you approach data? How do you approach emotional and rational data? And I am oriented towards rational data. And I have been, and I think I, I always will be. But I can use my, I can use that capacity. And part of the way I've used it is to understand the neuroscience and understand the, how emotions actually work. And so by learning that, applying my strengths to this area, I, I'm not saying, you know, change who you are. Uh, I'm yeah. saying use who you are, use it better to get the results you're really looking for, not just the short-term wins. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. This uh, in in personality theory, uh, it's understanding the the those sides of you sides of you that are buried uh, that you have not actually brought to the surface to be able to develop more of. So 
you know, if you're not a relational person, it doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to be relational. No, it just means that you have, haven't utilized it. You haven't used those muscles, those emotional muscles, relational muscles. And so in raising your capacity to do that, even with the smallest gesture of maybe reaching out to somebody when it's against the grain for you to say, to give a compliment uh, or to provide some positive feedback, just try it once. And then you're saying that that, that will eventually your brain as it becomes more habitual, will learn these things and, and you'll create new synapses. I remember this uh, group of casino managers that I was working with. And um, we, were, we were working on building more collaborative relationships inside their teams. And so we were, we were working on using empathy. And one of these guys came up to me a week later and he's like, this empathy thing, it's just not, it's not the authentic me. I'm like, okay, so tell me more. And he's like, well, I've, I've tried it three times this week and it just doesn't feel right. And I said to him, okay, so you're telling me that you've had like 40 years of workplace experience where you've approached people a particular way. And for one week, you've tried this other way and it's uncomfortable for you. Uh, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, so maybe you ought to give it more than a week before you decide that it's really not going to work. Uh, of course, it's uncomfortable for you. Of course, it doesn't feel natural to you yet, right? It's going to take some time, but I want you to, to give it a real try and start to see if the results, if you're getting the results you want. And I think that, you know, it's not about like, this is a technique or this is a way to, to do it. It's like just shifting that orientation to say, you know what, it's important to me to connect because that's going to create a different kind of result. You know, I can't imagine what kind of powerhouse leader that person is going to be when you combine the side of you that is rational, that is, you know, bottom line driven or task oriented analytical Combine that with being more empathetic, more relational, having more self-awareness to understand your own feelings and the feelings of others, being able to respond more appropriately. I can't imagine the powerhouse person that you can, or leader that you're going to become when you have both of those things uh, sort of on equal balance. Yeah. And I think this is crucial. We, you know, you mentioned that what got you here won't get you there. Like we're all at this point in our lives and our careers where we're grappling with new things. You know, it's, you're in a new job, you're in a new industry, you're in a new space, the world has changed around you. Maybe you're at a new age era, your you know, kids have grown or whatever. We're all in this process of change. And if we, if we tap into the resources that we have to help us deal with the, the world as it is now and as it is becoming, instead of saying, well, I'm gonna stick with what I did before, uh, I think that's it's it's often what we did before that's now in the way for us. It's like those comfortable ways of interacting that kind of brought us to this point that that's now the barrier. And I certainly experienced that for myself as a CEO. Uh, you know, I'm great at operations. I'm great at tasks. And I have one of my senior leaders just this week said to me, you know, Josh, it's time for you to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing it. <laughs> I'm good at it, but it's not what it's not my job anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about 
generational differences. We are, I think, at a time where is it is it four generations in the workplace right now? I believe so, right? Yeah. Um, so are there generational EQ differences? Very large. Mm. Um, again, this research called State of the Heart is one of the questions we examine. And in our in our previous State of the Heart research, and um, we can put a link to it in, in the show notes, um, we found uh, some very disturbing shifts. Again, I think connected with the pandemic and the pandemic response, uh, again, across the entire, you know, large swath of the world, that the younger you are, the worse the effects were for you. So, um, you know, people a little older than you and I, it's like, well, there's, there, the effects of the pandemic seem relatively mild in terms of their emotional intelligence. It's like, okay, my, my sense of connectedness, well, you know, it's sort of similar. But, you know, for you and I, it was on average, was there was some effect. But the, the uh, millennials and Gen Zs, that sense of connection and community was disastrously affected. So when you're talking about a global sample and you see a 15% decline in a year, that's an unbelievable number. It's just the 15% decline in sense of community. So what you have is people coming into the workforce and, and this, you know, goes back to this, this loneliness coming into the workforce, not feeling connected to community, not feeling connected to each other. And then you say, okay, now let's start collaborating. Well, what they're going to need is really different. And I think it's important as a leader to recognize that you as the leader, we as leaders, we might be the ones who are weird. You know, like, okay, yeah, this is easy. Well, okay, it's easy for for us, but it's not necessarily easy for many, many of our employees. And being able to, um, you know, if you imagine what it's like to feel so disconnected and to come into a workplace where your job is all about, you know, talking to people and interacting and learning, that's an, a significant emotional challenge. Hmm. So uh, I recommend, you know, digging into that report to learn a little bit more about what seems, you know, on average, and, you know, of course, individuals are not average, but on average, we can look at this and say, let's understand what some of the needs are of people and, and not make them bad and blame them for, for the experience that they're having, but to say, you know what, I want to understand what's going on for this person so that we can work together to get the results we both want. Yeah. I hear a lot of managers, you know, get frustrated and I, I certainly have, you know, oh, these, you know, generation, whatever is so whatever. Okay. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but being annoyed about it, isn't going to solve it. And instead, again, this is an emotional intelligence problem. Let me understand what's going on for this person or this group of people and figure out how we can work together to overcome that so we we can get results yeah yeah okay so i'm a business leader and i am all in okay what would you tell me to do you know to get that full value from eq i mean is there a first step and what's the process yeah absolutely so first i'll tell you what not to do okay don't say hey hr department let's do a training course on emotional intelligence and call it done 
That's what happens in a lot of organizations. And that is barely tip of the iceberg. And it's fine. You know, sure, that's a nice thing to do, but you're not going to get the value that way. You're going to get the value by, again, I, I said this earlier, starting with being clear about the business case for you. What is your uh, strategy for value creation? How do your people's experience and the culture you're creating, and the customer experience that you're driving, fuel that value proposition? Based on that, be strategic about the culture that you need. Once you're clear on the culture you need, then you can start to back up and say, okay, what are the capacities that our people need in order to build and sustain that culture? Now we have a strategic plan for, for, for culture. And emotional intelligence is now going to be central to that. And it's not going to be like, oh, this is a course we should do. We can now move into saying, let's really embed this and start looking across the organization and uh, in, in HR, but also in, in leadership and operations, the way we communicate, the way we have meetings, the, the way we provide feedback, the way we set our agenda, the way we talk about customers. There are thousands of touch points where we can start to look at how are we using these skills to strengthen and reinforce the culture we want in order to get the business results, the value proposition that we're looking for. And then you start measuring it. And at the same time, you start building capacity of people in the organization to do it. And Marcel, you mentioned you're a coach. Uh, we do a lot of work with organizations on, on coaching and mm -hmm. building capacity internally. You know, imagine that you had, you know, dozens or hundreds, depending on the size of your org, people who had deep skill in this area, who could be coaching on the job, on the fly, doing this spot coaching, being people to say, hey, look, I'm trying to figure this out. Give me some advice. How do I do this? So you build the capacity deeply in the organization. You don't outsource this. Sorry to put our, you and I out of a job, but you don't outsource this to a coach. Yeah. You, you insource this to say, and, and external coaching will really help you with it. But at the same time, you have to build the capacity internally. And this has to become part of the, the DNA of how you work, not a thing you're slapping on the side. You said it perfectly. It has to be ingrained into the DNA that's, that's perfectly stated and to the organization and to keep reinforcing those, those values, those EQ values and those practices, those habits, et cetera, right? And, and to make that measurable. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and that's one of the reasons I mentioned. You know, we have all these tools that we've developed for individuals. We have a, 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 a individual emotional intelligence tools, leadership tools, team assessment tools, and organizational assessment tools because you get what you measure. Mm -hmm. And if you're putting this data on the dashboard, you're making it part of your selection and your onboarding, your development, and your you know performance management, and your you you keep reinforcing this that's when you're going to really create transformation. And I mentioned that we have a lot of case studies. I encourage people to check that out because it's a great way to see, oh, look how Siemens did this. Look how FedEx did this. Look how HSBC or you know, other big organizations are doing this. And you can start to say, okay, there's a roadmap for me. Yeah. All right. I want to ask you for one practical tip. Now, you know, EQ can be applied towards so many different things, right? I mean, sales, I, I mean, making better decisions as a leader, 
I want to pick motivating employees. This, this mm-hmm. is kind of a big, a big thing, right? In leadership is how to get the best out of our people. So what's a good practical EQ tip to do that? Yeah. I just published a, a new course uh, called Managing Wellbeing, which was based on that Surgeon General's framework uh, for workplace mental health and well-being, recognizing that employee well-being is actually a pathway to performance. And I think a lot of times the way people are talking about it right now in organizations is, well, you know, we've got to kind of reduce our performance in order to work on well-being. And that that's nonsense. Right. We need we need to grow our performance, especially <clears throat> right now, you know, in the economic uncertainty and the like the financial pressure, like we need higher performance. But that doesn't mean, you know, you hear some leaders, I won't say any names, but saying, you know, oh, we need, you know, we need to really put it all in. We need the 18 hour days right now. Okay. That's probably not how we get performance either. Can we be smarter about it and, and get set it up so people do really good work really well and efficiently and also take care of themselves. And those two things are not in competition. Anyway, practical tip. So you're having a conversation with an employee And this, you know, imagine you've heard this on the show before, but a lot of times what happens is uh, if I'm your supervisor, I might say to you, Marcel, you're not doing enough X. And now I've made it an issue between us. I'm blaming you. You're defensive, right? Instead, if we can both kind of look over this direction and say, Marcel, I would like us to see have more X. What do you think? And I bet you're going to say, you know, I'd like that too. Now we're standing shoulder to shoulder and saying, let's work on this problem together. Uh, I'm not satisfied with whatever it is. I would like us to have more. I think it's important for us to achieve more, whatever it is. Um, we're not, we're getting X feedback from whoever, from our customers, whatever. We, 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 right? And this is a shared problem. How can I support you? How can we work together on improving that? And that just little pivot from I to we. Yeah. I'm seeing this. How can we work on it? That will totally shift your conversations around performance and motivation. There's so much overlap by my book because I'm a, a servant leadership practitioner and coach. I see so much overlap between emotional intelligence and the way that servant leaders lead. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And if you think about your role as a leader, and this is why I think coaching is so valuable for leaders and leaders to, to grow the skills of coaching, is that if you think about your role as a leader, is about enabling performance as opposed to doing it yourself. Right. And that's, you know, if we want to grow capacity, we think, okay, my job as a leader is to <clears throat> is to strengthen the capacity of people here to do the work. It really transforms kind of when, when we say, are we leading? What are we leading? Are we leading tasks or are we leading people? Mm. And for me, it's all about leading people. Yeah. Joshua, I want to give a shout out to Six Seconds, the organization that you co-founded. What should we know about what's going on at Six Seconds? Maybe you can uh, send some people over there to to find out more about, you know, your services, your events or your research. 
absolutely. So in our EQBiz uh, domain, we have incredible tools and methods to do all of the things we've just been talking about to measure and improve the people side of performance and build your strategy and support you to in-house. If you're somebody who's like, hey, you know what? I want to go, I want to go be a Marcel. I want to, I want to become a coach. We have a fantastic coach certification program, ICF accredited. And by the way, with our partnership with Antioch University, you earn a third of your MBA or uh, almost a third of your MBA or master's in uh, management. It's an incredible program. And there are very few coach certifications that have this kind of depth in the United States anyway, that there's that you're getting master's level credit for it. So uh, we have a whole pathway of certification programs for individuals uh, who want to become professionals in this space, as well as all that EQ biz for doing that inside uh, your organization. But in addition to that, I mean, we're crazy. I realize uh, we're a nonprofit and we're, we're working on changing the world. And so like through our partnership with UNICEF World Children's Day, we have resources that are available in 200 countries and territories for free. And we have free mentors and mentorship for around this work. We have education programs. We have a doctoral program in uh, emotional intelligence and education. So if you, if you want to you know, do this in your business, you want to do this with your clients, or you want to do this in changing the world, uh, we're here to support you to do that. And we have... Uh, courses and training and e-learning and events. We have free webinars uh, several times every month and, and all over the world. So one of the things that I think is important is understanding how we can kind of navigate the complexity of the world that we're in and finding that shared common ground. I'll just end my pitch by saying that Business Case for Emotional Intelligence is a fantastic document. It really takes you through just one page summary and then goes in depth on all of these cases and all of this data that you can use to say, okay, let me think about what's gonna really create performance today. Or if you're a consultant or somebody trying to convince your clients, it's gonna be a great tool for you. You know, whenever I, uh, I, I caution myself every time I visit six seconds, it's like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I need to carve out the next hour before I go into their website because I get lost in there. I go into the resources section. I start to read articles and stuff. And next thing I know, an hour has, but it's well spent hour <laughs> I might add. So yeah, so go check it out. I'm going to ask you for the, uh, the website and all that in a minute, but I'll, I'm going to transition to our leadership love question. So as we wind down here, uh, this is tradition on the show. Now, I, I believe, and the whole reason why we do this show is that love is the solution that will break these these strongholds that we see now of division and and uh, toxicity in the workplace. Uh, bosses leading through fear and intimidation. All right. So, bring EQ into the equation here. How do we lead our businesses and organizations with more practical and actionable love, day in and day out? I wonder what it would be like if, um, I don't know if you saw that piece on the Sunday scaries, I don't remember where it was, but some, a new poll on, you know, what percentage of people kind of dread going to work on Monday morning and, you know, they're on Sunday afternoon going, oh no, I didn't, you know, I have this meeting. Oh, uh, what would it be like in an organization where people on Sunday were like, I am so excited about tomorrow. I love going to work. I love the work we do. What we found in our research, uh, the, the organizational vitality research 
um, we looked at teams last year and we found that teams that were high performing had a sense of joy, mm. just pretty connected to love. And they celebrated, they celebrated their learning. They celebrated their losses. They celebrated their, their failures. They had this sense of like, Hey, what can we learn from this? And I think that kind of, I don't know, attitude of gratitude, that, that sense of like, we're doing work that matters and we're doing it together. To me, that's, that's very much about love in the workplace. Yeah. I, I genuinely care about the work and I genuinely care about the people. And when we can feel that, it's infectious. Yeah. So what I would say is that, that we have choices about our own emotions. We have choices about how we think, feel, and act. And those choices matter. So step one, tune in, notice the choices you're making. Step two, be more intentional about it. And step three is be more purposeful. Remember why you're doing this. And as you show up as a leader and saying, it's important to me, this matters to me. I care. In other words, I love. I care about these people and what we're doing. They will feel it. I love it. Thanks for that, Joshua. And we bring it home with two questions as we do with every guest. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? So again, I go back to that loneliness uh, research and I just see so many people are, are suffering needlessly and they're, 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 they're feeling the opposite of what I just described. They're, they don't feel like they have a voice. They don't feel like they, their work matters. They don't feel like the people around them care about them. And that is, it's just, it's tragic at an individual level and at a, a community world level that we have this unprecedented level of loneliness mm. and you know human beings we are social animals and as social animals there's just this piece about even what we've just done in in this time together like i can feel this connection that we have from this time together mm. talking about stuff we both care about and it's not rocket science uh, we have the capacity to connect with people and it's good for us and it's good for them. And so let's do it. Yeah. 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 Well, the old saying, love is a choice. And unfortunately, so is hate and division, right? So yeah. which are you going to choose? Yeah. All right. I used to ask my kids, what are you adding to the world right now? Meanness or kindness? Mm. Sometimes I feel sorry for my kids, <laughs> like having having a kind of emotional intelligence researcher and advocate as a dad. They got questions like that a lot. But now they're 22 and 24, and I see them asking themselves those kind of questions. What are you adding to the world right now? And is it what you really want to be adding? Yeah. Joshua, close us out. What's, what's that one thing that you'd like our listeners to walk away with that that's going to, you know, improve their lives. You've got this capacity. And sometimes people say like, you know, you, you, we were kind of joking earlier about that. Like, I don't have emotional intelligence. You do. It's part of who you are as a human being. You have this capacity. Emotions are part of you. It's part of your basic neurobiology. It's there and you can use it. And when you use it, you will immediately start to see benefits for yourself and the people around you. Perfect. 
All right. I want to send some people as not some, I want to send thousands of our listeners to six seconds right now. Okay. Uh, website address. And now, so how can anybody personally connect with you? www.sixseconds.org. However you spell it will work, but the web, the official is the number six and seconds, S-E-C-O-N-D-S dot O-R-G. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way. I'm a uh, open networker on LinkedIn. So I, I'm really happy to connect with people as long as you're not writing me and saying, oh, thanks for connecting. Do you want to buy my services? <laughs> I get a lot of those to disconnect, but everybody else is welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. We have a fantastic group on LinkedIn where six seconds is all over social media. So you can go on uh, 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 six, six sec EQ on Instagram or whatever your favorite social media is. We're probably there. We also have a YouTube channel that's got great resources. And um, I encourage you to just reach out and connect with us. We have an incredible group of people all, all over the world who are there to uh, to support you in this work. Listen, when the pitch came in to, to have you all come in the show, I mean, I was geeked out, okay? I, I couldn't get you here fast enough. Unfortunately, we have a six-month waiting list. So uh, I am just so thrilled that you came on the show and blessed us with all of these, all of this knowledge and wisdom and tips and all that. Folks, go to Six Seconds and find out what they're about and, you know, even if you don't get a certification or get a workshop, et cetera, just learn more about them because they have so much resources there to understand how emotional intelligence can impact you personally and organizationally. And I'm thrilled that you came by to hang out with me. Thanks so much. And thank you for all of your work advocating for people to be more aware and connected. And, uh, you know, your articles in Inc. are fantastic. And I'm, I'm really glad to be on the, this podcast with you. Uh, and those who are listening, I'm sure you know what a treat it is to be able to be immersed in this way of thinking about our work and lives. So thanks, Marcel. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag love in action podcast and also look for my show notes as well as a YouTube link to this episode if you want to watch it on my website, marcelschwantis.com. And finally, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the Love in Action podcast, hey, let's chat. Reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.